Good evening and welcome to the Dollar Dogs and Beer podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and uh, thank you everybody for uh, giving us a week off. I was not feeling well last week, feeling much better this week. Uh, glad to be back. Joe, Jason, glad you guys have, one, stayed healthy because uh, that was not fun last week. And number two, uh, glad you guys were able to move your schedules around so we could just bump this up a week. So how are you guys doing? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Um, glad that you're feeling better. And, you know, that's we, we have it spread out. So having that off week is nice because we can actually move schedules around if need be. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jason, is your connection OK? Because you just skipped around there a little bit for me. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm, I think I'm fine. You, you skipped around for me. So maybe it's maybe it's your end. No, I don't know. <laughs> I hope not, because I'm supposed to be plugged into a hardwire. Oh, no, that's not plugged in. I wonder who unplugged my hardwire. Well, whatever. Wi-Fi it is tonight, guys. Good luck, Blue Ridge. Don't We're good. We're here. Hardwire. We're here. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, how are you doing tonight, bud? Doing pretty good, man. Had had to uh, celebrate the birthday over the weekend. So, uh, you know, that, that was nice. Nice time with family and everything. So, uh, you know. I'm doing pretty good. Glad you're feeling better and glad we're back back together to talk some baseball. Absolutely. All right. So birthday boy, what are you drinking tonight? So I'm, I'm another year older, so I'm a year wiser, I guess. I'm, I'm switching to beer tonight. I'm on the Smithix Red Ale. So uh, I'm rocking the Smithix Red Ale. I'm, I am a Full board till St. Patrick's Day, so I'm I'm looking forward to my next holiday there. So, absolutely, what a great holiday it is too. Jason, what do you got tonight? Nice. So uh, I also have a red ale tonight, uh, but this is I have it in a pie glass because the can was a little beat up on the top. But it's the Legend Red Ale from uh, Levity Brewing Company out in Indiana, uh, from Indiana County, Pennsylvania, not the state of Indiana. Um, and it was made for the uh, IUP marching band, uh, which I was a part of. And the IUP men's basketball team actually won the PSAC West. Uh, so uh, cheers to them. This one's uh, poured for them. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, number four team in the country right now. They were number one. Took a took a hard loss on the road, but uh, still a number four team in the country in Division Two right now. That's awesome. Good for them. All right, guys, and tonight I am drinking from good old wine and kugels, the Snowdrift Vanilla Porter. Very smooth. One of my favorite winter beers. And despite what my lovely wife says, no, it is not too sweet. <laughs> All right, guys, so let's roll into this. Uh, the rule changes coming up for the 2023 season. The biggest and I think probably the most fundamental rule change that we're going to see this year is the pitch clock. Pitchers will have 15 seconds to throw a pitch with the bases empty, 20 with a runner on base. Hitters must be in the batter's box with eight seconds left on the pitch clock. Um, the way they will enforce this is, is that if a pitcher's not started the motion to deliver a pitch before the expiration of the clock, he will be charged with the ball. If a batter delays entering the box, he will be charged with a strike. So there is going to be accountability on both ends of this. Um, that You are allowed, uh, what is the total of two engaged? 
two disengagements, including pickoffs, timeouts, all that, you know. So they're going to be watching that. Um, I know with the pickoff rules, it'll be you have two shots. If you throw over a third time and don't get the guy out, it's going to be called a bulk, and the runner will advance automatically. So apparently, uh, from what I've been reading, bulks will actually be called more stringently this year, theoretically more accurately, although we all know accuracy in bulks is always uh, an angel-type question, and we'll just leave it at that. Um, but I, I do think this could help. It should help pace the play a little bit. I, I, I do know that when I've been to minor league games over the last couple of years, I have noticed an increase in pace of play with the pitch clock. Um, I, honestly, guys, the pitch clock really doesn't bother me that much. Uh, thoughts for you guys on that? Yeah, I don't really mind the pitch clock. Um, the balk thing, I think we're already starting to see some pitchers are working on their deliveries. You have some players who keep rocking back and forth and have all different types of movements that they're starting to work on eliminating. So I, I'm not a big fan of it, but I get it at the same time. So out of all the different rule changes, this is not one that I'm overly concerned about. Yeah. And if it stops, guys, like I, I'll pick on a Hall of Fame legend here, Derek Jeter, from literally after every pitch, stepping out, adjusting all of his guards, all of his gloves, adjusting his jock strap in between pitches, just unnecessary, especially when he didn't even swing the bat. Just Man, not necessary. Imagine what Nomar would be doing. <laughs> Man, talk about having a complex. Uh, <laughs> Nomar Garcia Parra would have absolutely just quit, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want to see rage quit? This is rage quit. Um, I, I, I think most batters have gotten generally better about that. Um, Jason, I, I do know Harper's a guy who sometimes can take a little extra time. So, you know, that, but I honestly, from what I've been reading, the minor league guys adjusted to the rule within four or five weeks. So I don't think this is going to be a problem for anybody. And the only reason it might be a problem for Harper is because he's going to start a couple months late. So that one month grace period will just be farther down the road. I don't foresee it to be a major problem. All right. Uh, Joe, any thoughts on pitch clock? I mean, I don't, I, I'm sort of of the mindset where I, I, I guess I get it. I just don't think they need it. Um, but the only thing I don't know, and, and maybe I just didn't read up on this yet, but the motion to deliver, is that, you know, taking a step of their windup or do they have to be like coming forward when the clock expires? They have to be starting their delivery. Yeah. They have to start the delivery. Um, and if I remember right, I don't think they have to have forward momentum to the plate at zero, but I might be wrong about that. Okay. But I'm pretty sure it's just, they have to at the very least be starting their motion and it can't just be like a tap on tap off, tap on tap off kind of thing. Like that's one thing that MLB has instructed umpires is if they notice a pattern or a trend by either the batters or the hit or the pitchers, or the catcher even to try and delay the pace of play that they're to enforce penalties thereof. So, okay. yeah, I mean, I, I think, it, you know, it, it could speed things up a little bit. I mean, when you, when you see that the minor league level, particularly, you know, down in at Clipper, it's, it's helpful until 
they're walking five guys and then it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's I, our I mean, that's our stormers for you. <laughs> I, I'd like to see them do a little bit more. I think on, on the TV side of it, do more as far as like a split screen, like a lot of sports are doing now where you're not really gone from the action. They just do a, a, an ad in like the, you know, exactly a picture in picture kind of ad in, in between I, innings or something. Yeah. And then you don't need the long commercial break or as long of a commercial break, but you still get all your ads in. Yeah. That would be an absolutely brilliant way to handle this. And I, I wish they would look at that more. Um, I do know Bally Sports was doing quite a bit of that last year in their regional broadcasts. Uh, now, whether Bally Sports will be around to air anything this year, that is an entirely other question that we're not going to even get into tonight. Right. Because um, that's going to be, oh boy, that's that's a whole train wreck. That's almost an episode in and of itself, picking the pieces of it. All right. So the next rule is with pickoffs. Um, that's one version of the disengagement that pitchers are allowed to have. So it consists of any time the pitcher makes a pickoff attempt, fakes a pickoff, or simply steps off the rubber for any reason, as well as when the defense requests time. Pitchers are allowed two disengagements per plate appearance without penalty. The disengagement rule resets if a runner or runners advance a base within the same plate appearance. Um, and the enforcement, like I said, on the third time, they're going to be charged with a bulk unless at least, um, you know, unless um, either an offensive player advances or if they get the guy out on an attempted pickoff. And Ronnie is live in the chat tonight. Ronnie, how you doing tonight, bud? So, um, I honestly, guys, of all the rules that they've had, this actually I think is one of my favorite because, honest to God, the number of pickoff attempts when it's clear and obvious the pitcher's not even trying to get the runner out or the runner is so good at reading the pitcher's move. Like, think of elite runners. Like, think back to, like, Billy Hamilton. Um, Raphael Furcal was really good at this. Um, Kenny Lofton was a master of it. Otis Nixon, Ricky. You know, guys that were – guys that were so good at reading a pitcher's move, they knew when they were going to be picked off and were standing on first base when the ball got to the bag because they read the pitcher that way. Like, you know, you're not going to hold a guy like that. When they have your move read, just give them second base. <laughs> Honest to God. So, uh, you know, of all the rules that they've changed, I actually really do like this one. Um, and it's definitely going to help. Uh, Jason, it's going to help you and I out quite a bit because – for because uh Cunha is going to be running a lot more, Harris is going to be running a lot more, Turner will be running a lot more for you guys. Hell, JT is probably going to be running more this year, too. Which it's weird to think about a guy who can gun guys at and steal bases himself. Um, and that'll also tie into the bigger uh pizza box bases that we'll get to next. Um, what do you guys think of the uh pickoff rules? I like us, I, I think this is actually a good change. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be helpful. I think it, it's one of those things where if he wastes his pickoff moves, you know, right on the first two pitches, then you're just going to start stealing bags, and it's going to be interesting, to say the least. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, it's going to bring some some energy back to the game. It's going to make it a little faster. Um, I mean, not every you know pitcher is a John Lester's caliber when it comes to picking off <laughs> runners. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, and I, I think you're going to see the fans actually appreciate it a little more because how often do you hear, like, either when you're at a game in person or you're watching a game on TV, 
you see a couple pickoff moves in a row. The crowd starts booing. The crowd wants the game to keep going. So, uh, again, out of all of the rules, this is probably the one that I get the most. Um, and that I think I appreciate the most, um, just because from, from a pitcher standpoint, from a game time standpoint, I I don't want to keep watching all these pickoff moves. Fine. Take one or two per, per batter, whatever, throw the pitch, throw the pitch. Yeah. Well, and you know, here's the thing. It's one thing, like if each pickoff is close where it's like inches, but it's another when it's not even close, and it's obvious the pitcher's just throwing lollipops over to first base. So I am, yeah, I am definitely on board with the uh, new pickoff rules. Um, definitely going to be a weapon for guys. Um, offhand, I could think of Max Freed and a lot of the other lefties that have that really deceptive move to first and have been known to pick guys off. Definitely a weapon still for them. Um, because now they get to be a little more selective about it when they're going after the runners. So, you know, a little more cat and mouse game to watch between the pitcher and the runners. All right. So the next one, we have the bigger bases. The bases have been increased from 15 inches to 18 inches. And as uh, I saw on Twitter from, I forget which manager, they look like gigantic pizza boxes lids now. Um, Basically, Increasing the size of the base to reduce injuries around them and increasing stolen base attempts because it will shorten the distance between each base. Um, really, I I, I kind of think the player safety reason for this is kind of nonsense. If you wanted to help player safety, do what I've been saying basically since we started the show, do the double wide back at first base to prevent that collision like they do in softball. Um, this is clearly to boost the offensive numbers and I I think it kind of looks ridiculous, but whatever. <laughs> I really don't care either way. I need to see it in action. Um, like, I need to see what it actually looks like while watching a game, not just seeing pictures and things like that for me to really make a decision on that. Yeah. Um, I get the idea that it's for safety, um, and it's it's not even for collisions, you know, if say a player, a first baseman has their foot too far back on the base, you know, they risk being stepped on there, uh, significant Achilles or ankle injuries there. Um, even with runners coming down the base, you know, that extra lunge that they might take potentially keeps them from landing straight on top of the base. And instead, you know, they don't need that extra lunge. They can still hit that fr- the front of that base uh, prevent injury there. Um, it definitely will help with stolen bases. I, I just, I think I need to see it actually in action before I can make a decision as to how I actually feel about it. Fair enough. Although I, again, I brought up those exact injury things by way of doing the double wide bag. Yeah. And I think that would have been the better way to go. Much better solution. Um, Joe, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you there about the double wide bag. I mean, I've seen that in action in high school sports with my years as a trainer, and and you know it, it makes a huge difference. They don't, there's not that collision at first base, um, you know, not very often at least. Um, so it, that that probably would have been the better way to handle this. I do agree with you, Jason. It's I gotta see it to to really hate it or love it. <laughs> um, but I I also wonder too, does this like you know the 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 double play rule the vicinity of the bag does the 
vicinity of the bag get bigger now, so it's the double play is easier to turn. I, that's the other thing I'm going to be interested to see. Um, and I expect to see a lot of that, you know, in Chicago, obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Um, you know, I almost wonder if that might make that collision at second base potentially worse by giving more area there because it's more area to slide into. So it's less it's less space for the fielder to get out of the way of the runner coming in. Hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's going to affect that part of it. I just don't know, like, you know how how often we see a double play and we know he didn't touch the actual bag. Yeah. Give him the, give him the oh my, That's yeah. what I'm thinking about. Yeah, like like the one game, you know, the one game everybody likes to bring up where they're turning the double play and the runner is sliding at the guy who is eight feet away from the bag, close to the uh, edge of the dirt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got to love those vicinity rules. All right. And here's probably the the other biggest change coming up. And this is one that I've got some feelings about the shift. The new rule is as such at the time a pitch is thrown, all four infielders are required to be on the infield dirt or grass with two on each side of second base. So Jason, um, remember how we brought that up before. So yeah, they're allowed to be in. It's just not out. Um, Players will be able to move as soon as the ball leaves the pitcher's hands. Infielders who began the game on one side of the field cannot move to the other side until the next sitting unless there's injury. Originally, that was you can't move until the end of the you can't move until the next game. So I'm glad they um, loosened up on that because that was unnecessarily restrictive. Um, how they're going to enforce that if the hitting team reaches base and the runners advance on a ball hit under the violation, the game proceeds without penalties. If the play has any other consequences, out sacrifice, etc. The hitting team can decide to either accept the penalty, which would add one ball to the hitter's count, or decline it and the play would stand. Um, all right, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we're going to eliminate the shift, let the fielders range into the outfield. You need to do one or uh, or the other. This is way too much. One, I think it's ridiculous that we are coddling players like Joey Gallo, who never learned how to not pull the ball, and he hits it right into the shift, continuously or strikes out 200 times a season. The fact that we're coddling hitters is ridiculous. When I was in Little League, which I know was a long time ago. Back in my day. wasn't that long ago. Oh, you're older than me, dude. We walked uphill in the snow to school both ways. See, this is why I don't get a soundboard. I don't need one. Um, like when I was in Little League, the coach told us if they're stacked on one side, push it the other way, slap it the other way. Like, come on. I know it's hard to hit a baseball. I understand that. I was not very good at it or I'd be playing professional baseball, not talking about it on a podcast. But it's either let the infield shift or don't let them shift and let the infielders take the risk by going farther back. It's just too much. You know, it's just too much one way or the other. No, Ronnie, I'm only 34. Hasn't been that long, bud. Uh, go ahead, guys. <laughs> I have a bunch of thoughts. Joe, I'll let you go first on this one. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I have less beef with it than you do, Andrew. Um, look, I, 
when we grew up, I you got to see guys like Ozzy Smith and Omar Vizquel make these ridiculous plays at short with the range and everything else. You know, it, that to me is what I'm excited to see with this is you're going to see more of the range uh, from the, from these fielders, from these guys. Um, so I, I'm excited for that part of it. And again, I guess I should be with the infield I have, but yeah. um, you know, it, I, I see less of a beef with, with, I, I get what you're saying about hitters and, you know, not, not knowing how to hit. I mean, Hey, if they're going to pay me $20 million to pull the ball to right field, I'm going to pull the ball to right field. I don't care about your feelings. If, if I'm, you know, Joey Gallo. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, Gallo, Gallo gives no shits. Nor right. Should he. Right. Nor should he. I, I mean, look, if, if they're going to pay him $20 million to pull it to right field every time. And strike out. And strike out, then, you know, whatever. If, if the Tigers want to pay Javi Baez, you know, $200 million to, you know, strike out or hit a double, then eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, and my my thing here is that the the main thing that I don't like about removing the shift is the restriction on the fielders on the infield, you know, only being limited to the dirt or the infield grass. Um, I think that they should be allowed to take so many steps into the outfield or or play in a shallow outfield position to at least give the defense a chance. And what I think you're going to end up seeing here, say say you have a big right-handed or left-handed bat up, uh, instead of having that shift that they would normally have on the right side of the infield into the outfield, I think what you're going to start seeing is teams bring the left fielder over more because there's no restrictions on the outfielders. So yeah. if they're going to create their own shift anyway, what is the point um you're, you're going to see the left fielder come over play more in between center and right field give the let the uh infielder play either closer to the base or to uh the right side of the infield or even go over a little further but i think what you're going to really start seeing is uh teams risking a very deep uh, outfield uh, hit because without that left fielder there, you're going to see all these dinks going over the infield and you're going to have slap bunt or excuse me, slap doubles uh, through a hole in the out into the outfield potentially. Yeah, it's definitely a possibility. I I've already seen, um, uh, I want to say it was the Rays, but I don't know for sure had already had some, playbook had some playbook things written up for how they're going to shift the outfield to accommodate for this um and frankly uh, like if i'm atlanta um if i shift that left fielder over i just move um harris into like left center field because he's got the speed to cover that area you know it's gonna all you know it's gonna make having a super speedy center fielder a huge key for teams playing defense um you know looking ahead at that now, I mean, they can they they can go into the outfield if the ball takes them that way, right? Yes. As That's, soon as okay. the ball is released, they can start to understand something. But as soon as the pitcher releases the ball, they can they can truck backwards. Right. Yeah, you're going to see them on the very edge 
of that infield dirt with the outfield grass. And the moment that ball is released, they are going to be backpedaling like crazy, which especially a guy like Ozzy Albies, who's so short to start with. But that's where if, if you're a batter, lay down a bunt mm-hmm. or or slap the ball back because it's going to be much harder for that fielder who's running backwards to stop momentum and then run back forward. So right. There, there's a lot that's going to be changing because of this. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, that, that is a really good point though. I hadn't even thought about that. If you're going to let, if the outfield's allowed to do whatever they want to do, then there's really no point in banning the infield from shifting. Um, Ronnie said here in the chat, I think they should be allowed on the, on the outfield grass to a point. Ronnie, I would be okay with that. If they would make like a second arc, that the fielder cannot go behind, like whether that's 10, 15, 20 feet out into the outfield, I would be okay with that. Um, I don't know about you guys, but that I think that would be a good compromise in between the shift, but still letting infielders take the risk because it is a risk. That's a much farther throw from the outfield grass to first base if it's a ground ball. So, all right, so... The next role that will be coming up is the position players pitching. They um, tweak this slightly. Teams will be limited in which they can pitch a position player. The previous rule allowed them to use one when up or down by six or more runs, but the sides are discussing a tweak in which the leading team would have to be up by as many as 10 or more runs, while the trailing team would have to be down by eight or more in, um, in order to use a position player as a pitcher. Um, I, this is essentially because MLB has noticed the increasing trend of position players pitching. And I believe, I, I don't remember the numbers, but I think it's all last year had more position players pitching than, um, any other single year in the last five or 10 years. So MLB is trying to cut back on that. Um, you know, they understand like if it's a blowout, they don't, you know, teams don't want to waste an arm in a game that doesn't matter either way. Um, but as we also saw a couple times last year, if it's a blowout and you risk bringing in a position player, it could be hilariously bad or hilariously good, like the uh, Rizzo striking out Freddie Freeman. You know, you never know what it's going to be when a position player comes in to pitch. Um, or, you know, it could be Pujols who got jacked. <laughs> so um, it, basically it's refining the rules. I feel like, I, I feel like being up by 10 or more is a little much. If you're going to have the trailing team cut off at eight, I feel like just make it eight for both instead of 10 and eight, just to make it simpler. That's just me. Yeah. So something I think I'm going to do this year for us is I'm going to keep a position pitcher count. Not so much the names, but I'll just keep a tally of the teams and how many times they use a position pitcher, a position player as a pitcher. So I think that'll be something interesting for us to kind of keep an eye on. Yeah. Cause there are definitely some teams that utilize them a lot more than others. I know um, Atlanta very rarely utilizes a position player as a pitcher. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, was it Washington used one a lot last year? I want to say, I mean, they were bad enough. They were down all the time, so it would have made sense. Um, but yeah, I, I do know there were, there were definitely some teams that utilized a little harder than others. I remember, ah, the Dodgers, because remember we had one episode last year 
um, where we brought up that Dave Roberts actually had to rush a bullpen pitcher in because he tried to bring in a position player when the Dodgers weren't up by enough runs to use a position player to pitch. So yeah, um, definitely something to keep an eye on. I, that'll be really interesting data to look at, at the end of the year, Jason. Yeah. All right. And then because Rob Manfred can't go a week without pissing me off somehow, he has announced that the goddamn ghost runner rule will stay in effect for the regular season. Why? This is the point of the podcast where uh, Joe and I just sit back and let Andrew go. I hate his stupid ghost runner rule. This is the dumbest thing baseball has come up with in a long time. It's not quite as dumb as the winning team of the All-Star game determines home field advantage in the World Series. Sorry, bud, that's still the dumbest. But the Ghost Runner completely changes the nature of the game. It actually gives the advantage away from the home team and gives it to the visiting team because they get, you know, you start with that runner in scoring position. It's, you know, you have a pit, the pitchers coming out, they're already starting in the stretch, which they may not do normally. And I, I'm sorry. I, I did not like this rule. I understood it back in 2020 when we were short on bullpen arms. Even last year, you know, run it out again because we kind of got used to it. Okay. All right. Let's get rid of the damn thing and go back to playing real baseball. Or if we're going to keep it, wait till the 12th inning or later to bring it in because it's just not necessary in the 10th or 11th inning. I'm sorry. It's just not. All right, guys. I think I got enough of it out. I need another beer now. I'm running out. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with you for the most part, Andrew. I, I go back and forth. I like the idea of a strategy with it and I understand why they do it, but you're, you're taking a lot out of the game. Um, we've seen that the extra runner rule does not always prevent those 14, 15 plus inning games have, have the long games gone down. Yeah. I mean, we we saw in the playoffs last year, uh, I believe it was Seattle and Houston, you know, they didn't have their ghost run because it was the playoffs, and they played essentially two games in one day because they had an 18-inning game. So I get it. Um, the baseball purist in me, though, hates it. Absolutely hates it because all you're doing, if you're the home team and you're tied, you're butting the run over to third and trying to get a sack fly. That's not that's not if as fun they, to me. If they bunt, a lot of teams don't know how to bunt anymore. Atlanta didn't drop a bunt until like game 156 last year. So yeah. I yeah. Screw the ghost runner. Get rid of it. Drop it back into the annals of time to be forgotten. Please and thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not something that's really, I think, necessary. I agree with Jason there. You know. The that 18 inning game in the playoffs was stupid. Um, you had it <laughs> you just don't have 18 inning games that often. I'm sorry, we're, we're making a rule for something that doesn't happen very often. Good God. Well, well, and I think now that you're you're getting rid of the shift, I think you're gonna have a lot less of those close games because you know hits are gonna squeak through. So I, I think, uh, 
Yeah, I don't think you're going to have much use of the Ghost Runner anymore. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. And then um, Nike has instituted a new rule on teams um, for uniforms. I don't think I've ever heard of the uniform manufacturer ever limiting uniforms at any point because that seems strange because why would you limit a potential source of revenue? But that's Nike. Um, I mean, they're already desecrating beautiful baseball uniforms, the stupid swoosh right over the middle instead of keeping it on the arm like Majestic did so nicely for so many years. So the new rule is um, four plus one. Teams are allowed to have four uniform sets plus the City Connect um, set. So some teams have already announced that some uniforms will be disappearing. The Texas Rangers are getting rid of the red, um, which are, their red uh, softball top batting practice jerseys. Um, Jason, I think you said you're pretty sure the Phillies batting practice jerseys. Yeah. On. And honestly, that's fine. That was by far the worst of their jerseys, I think. Yeah. It, and really, the players are the ones that wanted it because they get they get tired of wearing the grays the, the entire time. So they would wear those red uh, batting practice type of jerseys on getaway day, basically the last game of a road series, which I get. So yeah, it's still dumb that they're restricting the number of jerseys. Yeah. And really it's not like most teams had an excessive number of jerseys anyway. I mean, how about for some of the teams that need one extra set, let's just give them one of the Yankees alt sets that they never use. Cause the Yankees only wear two uniforms. You know, you could make this work. Now, um, the Marlins announced that they are going to be wearing the um, teal throwbacks, which they look phenomenal from the pictures. Love those. Love those. Love that they're coming back. Um, And that's going to be because I I did look up how this works over the um, four plus one rule. Those are a special jersey that I think they're only allowed to wear like eight to 12 times a year, something like that. So that doesn't count under the four plus one rule. So they do not have to drop a set for the teal. Although honestly uh, they could absolutely drop one of them. Maybe the black, maybe the black jerseys for those teal and bring them back as a full time. I wouldn't be upset because that's a great look on the Marlins personally. All right. So that is it for the rule changes for this year. Good God. That's enough of those. Jason, what about Hall of Fame caps? Yeah, so uh, Hall of Fame caps here. Uh, this one won't take too long for us to go through, but basically uh, Fred McGriff, the crime dog, he decided that he's going to go win without a logo on his hat. And Scott Rowland uh, decided to go with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, I know we were talking about this previously where we could see see him doing Cardinals, doing a split, doing no logo, because he did have such a really good career with both the Phillies and the Cardinals. Um, I'm not surprised by either of their decisions here. If I, especially Fred McGriff's, uh, I'm not surprised at all that he chose to go in with no logo based off of his career. Um, Roland, while I'm not surprised, I thought that there was a decent chance that he would actually go in with a split or a no logo cap, but the more I thought about it, and I brought this up the last time we were on, we were talking about the his election. Um, he left Philadelphia in pretty bad taste, uh, kind of like a mix there. He he clearly did not want to be in Philadelphia. Um, 
the fans kind of started turning on him a little bit because of things he was saying about not wanting to be in Philadelphia, which Philly fans, and I think most sports fans are, are going to feel this way, but it's, hey, if you don't want to play here, get out. So um, left with a little bit of bad blood, and he did win a World Series title with the Cardinals. So it, it's not that much of a surprise that he chose to go in as a Cardinal. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and McGriff, I, I don't know how you picked because he came up and became a superstar with the Blue Jays. He got his World Series ring with the Braves along with uh, two appearances in the World Series. And then um, he was still a phenomenal slugger out west. Uh, San Diego, is that where he went after that? Anyway, um, so I, I, truth be told, I, I would have loved to seen Crime Dog go in with the Braves logo. I was not surprised to see him go blank cap. He's just like Maddox, um, you know, too much. He, he had too much significant time in different area, you know, in different teams. And it, it, it's too hard to solely pick one team as this was Fred McGriff, whereas it's the whole. It's not just one team. So I wasn't surprised by that either. So uh, for uh, Fred McGriff here, uh, Blue Jays, 86 to 90, Padres, 91 to 93, Braves, 93 to 97, Devil Rays, 98 to 2001. And then he ended with a couple small stints with the Cubs, Dodgers, and then retired back as a Devil Ray. Yeah, that's right. It was the Rays, too. Yeah, understandable. He was very, very well spread out and was very, honestly, like a lot of players who go to a lot of teams, he was very productive just about everywhere he went. So, all right. So that one thing, one thing here before we move on, um, or before we get Joe's thoughts on this here, um, I'm really going to be interested to see what happens in Philadelphia because John Middleton, the owner of the Phillies, has said that they will be honoring Scott Rowland's induction at some point this season. Hmm. So, with him choosing to go in as a Cardinal. I'll be curious to know if one that changes anything and they don't actually honor him. And two, if they do still have a ceremony for him, what kind of reception does he get now? I'll, I'll be very curious to see what happens now. God, I'd hope by now it would be at least a, at least a polite applause. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. I, I was just thinking, you know, there's potential of him picking the Cardinals cap kind of reopening a wound a little bit. Yeah, Philly fans have long memories. But that's yeah, that's very true. <laughs> pretty much pretty much any fan base has a long memory. I, I the best he'll get is polite applause. The what you probably would expect is, you know, a mixture of booze and, and applause. Yeah. I mean the fact that they announced that they were gonna do that before he picked the cap, I think, shows that they at least wanted to respect and honor his contribution. Yeah. Which I think is good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for God's sakes, he won rookie of the year with the Phillies. Sure did. Um, yeah. I mean, I just think it's going to be one of those, you know, the, the fans remember the players that spurned them. Uh, so oh. it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And Ronnie with the comment of the night, too bad there won't be snow at that game. So no snowballs to throw. Yeah. Ron, Haven't ruled out batteries yet. <laughs> yeah it's definitely possible was, uh, JD Drew I believe yeah JD Drew and then oh man was it uh, 
I was years ago, I was reading Ken Kaiser's book. He was an American League umpire. He was uh, manning third base in Yankee Stadium, and a knife flew down from the third deck and landed right behind his ankle. And he looked over at, I, I think it was the Yankees third base coach, and said, man, you need to do a better job of waving your guys, and they were trying to throw that at you. <laughs> uh, only in New York. All right, so let's move on to the AL Central preview, guys. We will start off worst to first, as we have been doing, um, and worst place of the AL Central last year. You have the Kansas City Royals at a blistering 65 and 97 pace good for fifth place they actually dropped nine wins from 2021 to 2022 and honestly i would not be surprised if they drop a few more this year because uh this is not a deep team outside of a few players looking at the depth chart you do have uh all-star catcher salvador perez when he's not hurt um and backup mj melendez uh, first base, Vinny Pasquianto, Michael Macy at second, Hunter Dozier at third, Bobby Witt Jr. at short, outfield MJ Melendez as well. Um, he'll be, looks like, floating all over the place. Drew Waters, a former Braves top prospect, and Edward Olivares. Um, they did not have a separate DH listed when I looked up the depth chart. Um, Pitching-wise, you've got Brady Singer, Jordan Lyles, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubik, and Ryan Yarbrough in the starting rotation. Scott Barlow closing, Dylan Coleman, Josh Stalmon, Amir Garrett. <laughs> I love Amir Garrett. Uh, Taylor Clark and uh, Anthony Mizweski will be rounding out the bullpen of names of guys that you're thinking, that's really not murderer's row. Um, they really did not make a whole lot of moves. They do have a new manager, Matt Quatero, which I think is probably the biggest deal they made in the offseason, sadly enough. Um, they did. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough was a one-year, three-mil deal. Jordan Lyles was a two-year deal. They did sign a uh, former Brave and Philly, Johan uh, Camargo, to a minor league deal. Honestly, given their depth, he'll probably be up at the major league club at some point this year, I would think. Um, they grabbed a role as Chapman, one year, 3.75. Let's see if Chapman has anything left in his arm. I'm not thinking much. Although, guys, let, let, let's just think about the potential volatility here with a role as Chapman and Amir Garrett out there in that bullpen. They may not they may not stop a lot of runs, but, boy, that's a bullpen ready to throw down and fight if necessary. So um, not really many losses. Uh, Jake Brent's and Nate Webb. So, you know, garbage in, garbage out kind of situation here. No offense, Royals fans, but uh, there's not a whole lot in the cupboard right now. That said, um, I'm personally excited to see how uh, Bobby Witt does this year. Um, he's He's been an exciting guy to watch. I saw him... Um, I see him at the Sounds game or at a Senators game in the past. And he, I've seen him in one of the minor league circuits around. Um, and uh, kid's got a smooth swing, so I'm really excited to see what he can do. He was their top prospect. They brought him up last year. A little bit of a bumpy road, as you often see with rookies. So we'll see how he rebounds in year two. Um, guys, I do not see this team winning very many games this year. I am going to put them at – I'm going to put them at 62 and 100. All right, Joe, what do you think? Yeah, there's really not much to, to be afraid of here. Um, I, don't, I don't think even the Nationals would be afraid of this lineup um, as bad as they are. So there, there's nothing that scares you if you're playing against um, the Royals other than Amir Garrett if you're the Tigers <laughs> when Javi comes to bat. you know. But other than that, uh, there's really nothing here. I, I, 
you know, it, it's hard to see a team that got much worse than they did, but they really didn't get any better. So I, I, I'm I'm gonna get, I'm gonna say sixty three and ninety nine. I'm gonna go one up on you. All right. So the Royals are missing a lot, um, and that and that's an understatement. Like um, eight ninths of a roster, ba- well, seven ninths of a roster, basically. And Bobby Witt Jr. He's a he's. I think you're gonna see him really start to develop this year. He's excellent defender. He can really hit well. Um, he's got the speed. Um, so I, th- I think you're gonna look for a breakout year from him. Other, th- I mean, even Brady Singer's not that great of <laughs> the top of the lineup or top of the rotation there. So uh, they did sign Zach Granke, if that makes any th- difference there. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it, it, it did like five, six years ago. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, and the fact that they had to settle with signing a role as Chapman, who basically worked his way out of the Yankees and nobody else wanted him. Yeah, it's it's going to be a rough year to be a Royals fan. Um, I'm going to go even less than Andrew here. I'm going to take them at 58 wins and. So, so what, 58 and 102, 104? Yeah. Yeah. 104. Oof. Uh, they are going to be bad. Yeah, they are. And honestly, Jason, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, take our predictions and say, nah, we're going to go farther and lose more games besides that. Or watch here, 110 win season coming up. <laughs> no, uh, maybe 110 <laughs> lost season, but. 110 wins. Did they hire Gabe Kapler? <laughs> Jeez. Well, I mean, I, I, hey, he did it one year with the Giants, and then uh, you know, we Gabe Kapler, Gabe Kapler last year, and went right back to the mean. So, you know. All right, Joseph. How about the uh, Tigers? Yeah, the, the Detroit Tigers last year, 66 and 96, good for fourth in the division. Uh, a win, win change total of minus 11, so 11 more uh, losses last year compared to 21. Um, yeah, Javi. Yeah, Javi. I'm getting there. Uh, <laughs> their infield, uh, Eric Haas at catcher, uh, Spencer Torkelson at first, Jonathan Shoup at second, Ryan Kreidler at third, and Javi at short. Um Outfielder Austin Meadows is the name that rings the bell here. They also did get uh, Matt Veerling from Philly um, last year, uh, you know, along with Nick Maton at short, potentially down the road, um, you know, for when Javi decides to, you know, do his way out of town. Basically. (laughs) Um, There's really not, again, not as much here as as I think they had hoped there would be. with with the Tigers here, uh, pitching wise, Eduardo Rodriguez, Matt Boyd, Matt Manning, Michael Lorenzen, and Spencer Turnbull. No one really scares you here either, I don't think. Um, yeah, bullpen: Greg Soto, Alex Lang, Jason Foley, Jose Cisnero, and Garrett Hill. Uh, they didn't resign anybody new. Acquisitions: Sean Gunther, 
uh, Andy Ibanez, Matthew Boyd. Um, and then, of course, we talked about um, Veerling and Maton. Um, Tyler Nevin is a good pickup, I think, but I don't know that it's enough to make a difference. Um, just just a quick uh, change here. Uh, Gregory Soto is not their closer anymore. Okay. He is in Philadelphia. Oh, I'm sorry. I yeah, that was my fault. I forgot to take it off on here. Yeah, it, it's listed at it's listed on the uh, departures from the trade, and I just forgot to pull him off the depth chart. That is my bad. Mea culpa. Yeah, because that's uh, yeah, because that's who they got um for uh Veerling, Mayton, and and Sands is Gregory Soto, and uh, Kobe Clemens, and Clemens, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's pretty clear that the the Phillies got the better of that trade. Jason, would you agree? Yeah, I, I was sad to see Veerling go. I think Veerling has the potential to be a really good. Uh, center fielder, I, especially for a team like the Tigers who don't really have anybody there. I, I think the Phillies getting Brandon Marsh at the deadline last year is ultimately what led to them uh, making that deal because barring some sort of significant injury, Veerling wasn't going to get the playtime because the Phillies also have a decent amount of depth, um, especially in the farm system as far as the outfield goes. Right. Yeah, Ronnie's with you there, Jason. He's going to miss Veerling too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm not quite ready to say the Phillies won that trade yet because I want to see how, um, you know, I, I want to see if Veerling's able to stick with Detroit because if he does, eh, it could actually turn out to be a trade that works out really well for both teams. God forbid. So yeah. it's a little too, definitely a little too soon to say who won and lost that trade. Yeah. The, the Phil's got a, big bullpen piece that they absolutely needed um, and gave up players that they could afford to give up. Yeah. Um, I, I will say this, Jason. Um, I was looking on Twitter after that trade happened and Detroit fans were overjoyed to see Soto leaving town because they are uh, happily looking at their Tums consumption to drop dramatically due to the amount of heartburn that poor guy apparently caused their fan base with his wildness. So, yeah, you know, I mean, he's, he's going to be, he's going to be one that he'll either have, you know, like an immaculate inning, go one, two, three, you know, three straight strikeouts, things like that, or he'll put runners on base and make you sweat it out. Um, so he'll fit right in with the Phillies bullpen. Uh, <laughs> there it is. But um, no, but I, I think that was a trade that the Phillies absolutely needed to make. Um, and how often do you see it, especially with pitchers, that a change in scenery ends up doing them really well? Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely so. could. We'll have to see about that. All right. So, uh, Joe, what's your prediction for the Tigers this year? I'm probably just going to keep them where they are, probably around that 66, 96. I, I don't, I don't think they got significantly worse, but they didn't get better. Jason, I'm thinking the same thing. Joe um, didn't get worse. Uh, well, maybe got a little worse. Um, I'll, I'll give them a couple wins back. Um, so I'll go. I'll go. Uh, why not? 69 wins. Nice. nice. All right. I'm going to go. 
I think they might be able to squeak out 70, maybe, uh, just because of how bad the Royals are. Um, you know, and I know they're not going to get defeats from the Royals as much, but this also means they get to play the Nationals. So th- they should be able to pick up a couple wins there. All right. Good guy. This division was just putrid last year, guys. But before we continue, uh, it's going to be putrid again, I think, too. Yeah. All right, Jason, roll out the Twins. All right, so the Twins last year, they were 78 and 84, got third in the AL Central. They actually had an increase in their wins from 2021. They uh, had five more wins. Their depth chart uh, is not looking terrible. It's not looking great, uh, but they start with uh, catcher Christian Vasquez and Ryan Jeffers. First base, Alex Kirilov. Second base, Jorge Polanco. Third base, Jose Miranda. And shortstop, all of this for him to end up with the same team that he was last year, Carlos Correa. Um, outfield, you have the uh, shift-beating strikeout machine, Joey Gallo, uh, Byron Buxton, and Max Kepler. Uh, DH, they have listed as being Trevor Larnock. Starting pitcher, Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, Pablo Lopez, Tyler Molly, Kenta Maeda. And your closer is uh, John Duran. You also have Griffin, Jax, Caleb, uh, Thielbar, Emilio Pagan, Jorge, I'll call it, man, these names, and uh, <laughs> Giovanni Mor- Moran, or Moran, or Moran, however you want to say it. Uh, Giovanni, if you're listening, which I doubt you are, I'm sorry. Um, and then re-signed players, already mentioned, their big get was Carlos Correa. Pretty sure that the uh, Twins doctors were like, no, yeah, your ankle looks fine. I don't care what everybody else says. <laughs> so that's an ankle bone. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, like, yep, you got an ankle. You're good to go. Um, this is what happens when you put resonance in charge of things. <laughs> <laughs> and then their their new acquisitions. They did get Pablo Lopez, Jose Salas. Uh, which Jose Salas, I think, is actually a really good get for them. Uh, he was in the Marlins system. Um, really good prospect that, that I think could have a have a big impact for them. Um, and they also got outfielder uh, Byron Trio. Uh, that was all via uh, trade with the Marlins. They did sign Joey Gallo uh, to a one-year $11 million deal. Christian Vasquez came in at three years, 30 mil. And they also got Michael Taylor in a trade from the Royals. And they also have uh, Kyle Farmer, who can kind of hold down uh, Salas' spot until he's ready. Excuse me, from Cincinnati. Um, so their their losses, they did lose Luis Arias to Miami, who they traded in that big deal. And they also traded Gio Urshela to uh, the Angels. And they also ended up losing Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer. So... This team, I think, is actually a little better than last year's team. Um, they have the potential to do uh, even more damage. I think they have they have the potential to actually get, I think, up to second in the division. Um, White Sox, uh, I, I don't know what the White Sox are going to do with the things that they did because, yeah, they, they made a couple good acquisitions. Lost a couple big good names, though. Um I'm going to say with the moves that they made and with Joey Gallo not having to worry about a shift, um, Correa back to his form. 
I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take the Twins at second in the division over the White Sox. Just gonna go go bold with it. Get get second in the division, and I'm gonna give them. I'm gonna give them a 500 record. I'll give them 81, 81. Okay. Bold move, Cotton. All right, Joe. Yeah, I I, I agree with Jason. They they got better this year. Um, I, I, there's not a whole lot to be disappointed about with their off season. Um, I I do think with the Correa stuff, I think if if either of the first two teams have been willing to shrink their deal to six years, they would have got him. I, I mean, let's let's be serious about this. The the long term issue with with Correa is, you know, the the bone the rod and the bone causing issues you know, after six years, you know, if, if either of those teams have been willing to shorten their deal and, and Boris would have gone along with it, he, he, they, they would have locked it down. I, I would yeah. say. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Um, how many times have we seen Scott Boris just push things too far and teams are finally tired of Scott Boris's crap and are pushing back. And I'm hundred percent okay with that. Cause I hate Scott Boris and what he's done to baseball and free agency. Um, so Joe, what are you thinking for wins? Uh, I, I do think they, they probably do have at at least 80. Uh, I don't know if I want to be as, as bold as Jason, but I've, I've, you know, to quote, uh, to EJ Christian from the huddle up crew, I'm feeling frisky about the twins. I think is what is the way to describe how Jason's feeling about the twins. Um, you know, I, and I mean, I'm inclined to agree with Jason on this one, 80, 81, and, and, and probably second in this division. Okay. Yeah. God, what a garbage division. Um, sorry. I shouldn't keep saying that. That's not nice, but it is true. So here's one thing to consider. Um, I, first, first of all, I think they did very well with the uh, trade market this winter. I think they absolutely fleeced the Marlins getting Pablo Lopez and Jose Salas for Luis Arias. Um, it, losing Arias is a big piece to lose, no doubt about it. Heck of an offensive bat. But to pick up both Salas and Lopez, I think that was a phenomenal move on their part. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Here's the other move I like, though, the Michael Taylor trade with the Royals. When you put Michael Taylor in the outfield, take Max Kepler out there, when you put him out there with Joey Gallo and Byron Buxton, that is one of the best defensive outfields in the majors right there. And as we all know, defense wins championships. Now, I'm not saying the Twins are going to... I was going to say, are you going to take them for the division? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. No. But I think this team has definitely improved enough for second place. I do agree with you guys. I think the White Sox are trending down and badly down. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go 83 wins. A little bit over 500. All right. Speaking of our one of our favorite teams to bash, the White Sox, Joe. Sure. Uh, last year, five hundred record, second in the AL Central behind the Guardians. Uh, they dropped twelve wins from their win total from twenty one, um, which I, I, I was just last year was just awful, just <laughs> absolutely awful. <laughs> um, but you know, behind the plate, they've got Grandall and. Savala, both pretty good uh, backstops for them. Andrew Vaughn at first base being the everyday guy now, um, now that Abreu is gone. Um, 
you know, so they, they did sign Elvis Andrews back to play second this year instead of third where he was last year um, for them, Yohan Moncada and, and T.A. Hopefully T.A. bounces back and has a really good year for them at short um, and, and can stay healthy. That was his biggest problem last year is he just could not stay healthy. So, uh, you know, if, if T.A. can stay healthy, you know, as T.A. goes, they will go probably, um, you know, from, from the infield standpoint. Uh, ben Attendee was a pickup in the offseason. He replaces Vaughn in the outfield. Uh, Luis Robert. They still have Gavin Sheets. They still have Eloy. And my f- favorite starting rotation in the AL Central, Dylan Cease, Lance Lynn, Giolito, Kopech, and Clevenger. We'll see what happens with that whole situation. But, you know, I, I like what I see from a, a numbers perspective for this rotation. And Giolito lost like 40 pounds in the offseason. So he looks he looks fit. He looks like he, you know, could it could improve his his ability this year. Um, in the bullpen, Graveman will be doing the closing. It looks like, um, as most of baseball knows, Liam Hendricks is dealing with uh, treatment for cancer at this point. Um, you know, hashtag Liam Strong and and hat tip to Obvious Shirts for putting that collection together um, and those shirts together to uh, support Liam Hendricks and to to raise some some funds for him. That was really a, a hat tip to Joe at obvious shirts for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they have a, a pretty solid bullpen there behind that. They've got Joe Kelly, they've got uh, Jake Diekman. So they've got some pieces here. There's a lot to be excited about. Is, is it just a change at the manager spot that makes a difference for them? It it's, remains to be seen at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to hate about it. It's just whether a, a new voice at the top makes a difference for them. Because once Larusa left, they played pretty well last year. Yeah, no, I mean they couldn't play much worse than. Oh, hey guys, you don't have to run the ball out. And and seeing that live twice in person last year, that shit pissed me off. <laughs> I, I saw it in Baltimore. Um, you know, and I'm just like, really, dude? Like, if you run that out, you might be safe. Yeah. And then, and then when they do, you know, hustle out on defense, they get hurt. Andrews got hurt in that game in in Camden Yards, and it was he was hustling, hustling to field a ball, and he's not hustling anywhere else. So, you know, funky steps happen that way. Yeah, yeah. I I think the thing with the White Sox is. On paper here, looking at this roster and this rotation, they very well should be fighting for the division title. And they should be fighting for those 90-win seasons. I'm just not entirely sold because of what we've seen the last couple of years. Now, now maybe maybe that change in uh, manager does what it should and does what they hope it does, you know, I, I'm thinking along the lines of, you know, think Joe Girardi to Rob Thompson last year for the Phils, how that change in manager just lit that fire. It turned that light on and and they were so good. I mean, you I would like to think that you would see that with the White Sox this year, but I until that happens, I'm not sold on them. Yeah, no. I, I, I don't disagree with you there. I mean, on, on paper, they're the best team in this division. But they've been the best team in this division on paper for three years now, and no, it, it hasn't it hasn't borne the results. 
So, you know, they, they are, they are the Mets of the AL central. They have a lot to prove. Now you see, here's the thing with the Mets. Uh, the Mets still haven't won an AL East or an NL East title in this current century. Remember? <laughs> well, I just meant of, of recent history where they've spent a lot of money, win the off season and then don't, yeah, no. don't perform is, is where but, I was going with that. But that's the thing. The White Sox didn't even win the offseason. They made two acquisitions. They made what I think is a terrible deal for Andrew Benatendi. Uh, five years, 75 mil for a guy who's hurt all the time. And he's a solid player. Don't get me wrong. He's not a superstar level player, though. He's not that big of a difference maker. Um, I, I I just I don't get that deal. And the Clevenger deal, yeah, that that's... And of course, this is that's not the White Sox fault. How were they supposed to know domestic violence allegations were going to be forthcoming? Um, you know, that's going to be a whole mess that's completely out of their hands. You can't blame them for that. But that's literally, guys, that's all they did. And they lost Jose Abreu, who was frankly their best player and was the one guy who didn't get hurt. He played all the time unless they told him, no, Jose, we're telling you to take a day off. Like, I you know this is why the game's played on the field not on paper <laughs> i i do just want to uh clarify andrew uh the mets have won a division title uh in the century they've actually won a couple um their last division title was uh 2015 um i i believe that's also the year that they went to the world series but lost to the royals um that could be that was in the dark years of the braves where i was uh happily oblivious to what was going on and, and then be, before that they wanted in 2006 <laughs> okay so they have two <laughs> all right sorry but still uh yeah that, that i have to give them their due have to give them their due that 2015 year i'd like to just forget yeah 2015 sucked, At least the postseason anyway terrible year in baseball terrible year in baseball all all the way around <laughs> anyway yeah, uh, no, Joe, I've, I I just got through the 2015 year in the Cubs book that I'm borrowing from you. Oof, oof, man. <laughs> Two words for you, Daniel Murphy. Yeah. Jason, I'll make sure you get it next so you can read it. It is, man, it, it's deep. It's a good book. All right, so, all right, so where, where are we... <laughs> where are we going to put these guys in our prediction? Cause I, I can literally see this team going anywhere from like 75 to 90 wins. Like that's, I, I, I can't think of any team that we're going to talk about this year that I could see that big of a swing for how they're going to do. What I, what I would say is I think if, and this is, I guess a big, if you look at the guardians, they had a plus 12, from year to year, and the, the Sox had that minus 12. Uh, this is not the same Sox team as it was last year. So I, I'm going to say 87. 87, all right. I'm going to split Eight. the difference, give them six more. Okay. So are you taking them as your champs, or are you putting them – where are you taking them? Because I, cause I believe uh, we had the Twins there sitting second. Or were you saying that the Twins at their 81-82 wins were going to still be in third? I I had I thought they could get to second. It kind of depends how some of this other stuff shakes out. Um, 
but I don't know for sure if they'll be, you know, I may have said that they would be second, but it, I think it's going to be a toss up. I think one of these teams is going to run away with it. And the other two are going to battle it out for second, basically. Just the way I envision it. So yeah, I'm going to give them 86 and in probably the division manager might make a difference. Probably the division. Okay. Jason. Well, I did say that the twins are going to overtake the white Sox for second in the division and that the twins are going to be, be like 81 wins. So it's only natural that I have to take the white Sox lower than 81 wins. Um, I, I can see them absolutely winning the division with 90 plus wins uh, until they prove me wrong. If I was a betting man, I would probably take them in second or first in the division. Um, just because of what I've already said, I'm I'll take them one, like one below the twins. I'll take them at 80 wins. 80. Realistic. Realistically, I they'll probably end up with like 88, 89 wins. Really splitting hairs there, Jason. But but I'll take them at 80. All right, let me think here. I'm probably going to fall right in the middle of you guys. Um, I'm going to say 83, 84. We'll go 84 wins. Potential is absolutely there. It's can they keep it together and pull it off? Who knows? I don't know. Without LaRusa, anything's possible. So, all right. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so let's move on to the last team in the uh, AL Central, the Cleveland Guardians, which is slowly starting to become less weird to say, but not quite yet. So the Guardians were the surprise winners of the worst division in baseball last year at a 92 and 70 record winning the division. They were eliminated by the Yankees in the ALDS in a very tightly contested three to two match. Um, they jumped 12 wins from 2021. Um, the depth charts looking like Mike Zanino at catcher with Bo Naylor, Josh Naylor at first, Andres Jimenez at second, Jose Ramirez at third, Ahmed Rosario at short. Um, you got Stephen Kwan, Miles Strasker, Gonzalez in the outfield, Josh Bell at DH. Not a bad starting rotation. Shane Bieber, Tristan McKenzie, Cal Quantrill, Aaron Savali, Zach Plesak. They've got the best closer in the division with Emmanuel Kloss, uh, James Karinchak, Trevor Steffens, Sam Henke, Anil De Los Santos, and Eli Morgan. Um, so... Yeah, ignore the re-signed and all that. I didn't finish it up for the. I, I didn't finish that up for the White Sox. If that or for the Guardians, if you guys were wondering why the uh, topic sheet looked weird there, uh, so my bad. Um, honestly, guys, the Guardians didn't really need to do a whole lot to stay on top of the division. This was a very good team last year that came early. You know, kind of like we talked about with the Red Sox the year before. Um, they came early, but I unlike the Red Sox of last year. I think Cleveland's here to stay um, and keep competing because one, I, they've got one of the best managers in the division in Francona. He, you know, he's proven himself time and time again at various places, but I, to have a lockdown closer like that, to keep, you know, to just shut the game down, 
Um, I like the Josh Bell pickup. I think he's going to be a solid DH for them. Uh, guys, I I like what I see here. I, I don't know that they're going to improve too much off the 92 wins. I think that's probably about the ceiling for this team right now. But I think they're going to be able to get 90, 92-ish or you know, even 89. I think it's going to be enough to win the division. I don't think... I, I don't think it's going to take 9,500 wins to win the AL Central this year. This is, again, still not a very good division. What do you think, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, looking at their roster, I think they do have the best roster here. Um, their rotation is fantastic, especially with Shane Bieber at the top. You, you need that closer who can shut down games for you. So uh, one-run games... Uh, two run games or even like a tie game that you need to keep it tied. They have one of, if not the best closer in the game. I know we have Diaz up in there too, but um, I, I am, I'm going to take the guardians as your division champs again for the AL central. And I'll give them a couple extra wins. I'm, I'm going to give them 94 wins. 94. Okay. What do you think, Joe? Um, <laughs> I, I, this is hard because you brought up a good point about um, sort of peaking early, um, like the Red Sox did in 21, um, and then just were a complete shell of themselves in 22. Um, I don't think that the Guardians will fall, fall that far off the map, uh, but I think – uh, 85, 86 wins somewhere in there. 85. Sort of like, sort of like I did with the White Sox. I'm splitting the difference here. It's going to come down to these two, and whether one of them, you know, takes that takes that lead late in the year. Okay. And like I said, I think I'm going to stick right around 92 again. All right, guys. So that's the AL Central. Um, do you guys think the second place team in the AL Central has has a shot at that at one of the one of the three wild cards? I this this is hard. If the White Sox play like they have the potential to, I could see them sneaking into that third wild card spot if they're se- or the Guardians, whoever second place. I could see that, it, but I don't see it with the other three teams. I only see it with the two of them. Um, I don't want to say impossible. I want to say improbable, I think would be the best word to describe those chances. That that's probably fair. Uh you know, it, it's this is this is far from the AL, AL Central we're used to. And like you said, if if the White Sox and the Guardians play to what they can play to, then yes. But if they don't, then no. Yeah. Yeah, I I think you're going to see we'll figure let, let's let's think this through. So in, in the West you're going to have probably the Astros and the Mariners fighting for the division and a wild card spot. In the East, you're going to have um the Yankees, um uh Rays and the Blue Jays probably fighting for the division and a wild card spot or two. Orioles are potentially going to be in the talks there too. Um, 
the thing is that division might beat each other up. Now they don't get to beat up on each other as much this year, but I think you potentially see those win totals dip a little bit. So if the White Sox play to the potential of their roster, you know, we say that they look great on paper. If they play to that potential, they're absolutely going to get a wild card spot. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. All right, boys. Anything else for tonight? Jason, good. Joe, good. All right. So, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in with us for our AL Central preview. We will be back next week. This is not, we're not going to have two week layoff because we missed last week because of me being sick. So, next week we will be doing the NL Central. I know Joe is super excited for this to uh, talk about his Cubs. Um, I am so excited about that because I have a co worker and friend who is a Cardinals fan and will be joining us. So I I cannot wait to just sit back and just watch what happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. J- J- Jason and I are just going to be sitting back, sipping whiskey and laughing at this probably. Um, and uh, in addition to Todd, uh, my brother Alex, who was on last year when we previewed the Cubs, he will be joining us again next week as well to give Joe a little bit of moral support because – Joe might need it um, because I am sure the first thing Todd's going to bring up is a, a certain catcher who is uh, now in a very disgusting color of red. It, it's it's going to be Zach. Todd is a Mets fan who will be yeah. joining oh. us for NL East. My apologies. That's right. I forgot. To, uh, Jason, you have too many baseball friends. I can't keep track of them anymore. You can guys. never have too many baseball friends. Oh, no, I agree. I just can't keep track of who, who's a fan of what when it comes to your friends. Uh, I think I think Zach and I can at least agree that Milwaukee sucks. So, yeah, there you I go. Mean, There's your middle ground. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much an agreement of just about everybody. I mean, you know, because my brother being a Cubs fan, I I don't hate the Cubs. I've always had a soft spot for the Cubbies, and uh, if I've learned one thing from Alex over the years, is that screw Milwaukee, they suck. <laughs> so I've been well indoctrinated into that. And it sucks that our last name is Miller and Miller Park. But, you know, anyway. All right, guys. So you can find all of our audio recordings on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else where you can find all major podcasts. Um, if we're not on a major channel and you're trying to find us there, shoot me a line and I will get us there. See us live on our YouTube channel, on Facebook Live, and on Twitter. You can find the merchandise at redbubble.com slash people slash ddab podcast. Follow us on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash dollar dogs and beer. On the Twitter page at ddab underscore podcast. All three of us are on Twitter as well. I'm at PyroLord314. Jason's at JRicker300. Joe is at JoltonJoe35. We are presented by Dark Arrow Podcast LLC, and we are presented by the phenomenal Whiskey and Blade Barbershop and Lidditz. Johnny, thank you for sneaking me in at the end of the week last week since I was too sick to go in earlier in the week and uh, cleaning all this up. Guys, may your dogs always cost a dollar. May your beer always be cold. Have a great night, and we'll see you next week for the NL Central.